Dungeoneers, Luau Lu here. I wanted to give you a heads up about tonight's episode. The audio gets a bit jinky in places. I apologize. We tried out a new platform for recording, and, um, well, it didn't parse out the audio the way I was told it would, and therefore I couldn't edit too much into this. Uh, furthermore, we had some issues with storms coming through. They kind of wreaked havoc on the internet bandwidth I had. So, uh, oh, it's it's all over the place. But you're going to listen to it anyhow, and I'm going to tell you why, because we have Levi Combs of Planet X Games. He's going to tell us all about the craziness he's kickstarting here in October. And then he and I get to chew the fat a little bit about the Arduin Grimoires, these these great artifacts of early gaming by uh, Hargrave, uh, and all the cool things that they contain, and uh, how they've inspired him and his uh, company, Planet X Games, to do the cool stuff they do. So, uh, again, bear with us. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully next time we'll, we'll hit it out of the park. Here we go. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob 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 Vila. And now it's time for the show. This old dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. I'm Levi Combs, and I'm the publisher, creative head, and writer at Planet X Games. Um, I've done stuff like Jungle Team with the Mummy Bride, Escape from Scolfano Island, and The Phylactery. They can't even fit inside the building. The center has to be at least three times bigger than this. This is Lou Alu. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night. We get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. Hello, listeners. This is Lou Alu, and I'm here tonight with uh, just one of the greatest guys that I've ever met, uh, especially if you're a small publisher. Dude's helped me out, helped many other people out. Every time I talk to someone that's uh, you know, trying to get something out, they always tell me, hey, have you met this guy, Levi Combs? And uh, so I'm happy to have him on the show tonight. Levi, how are you doing? What's been going on with you in gaming? And, and also tell us a little bit about yourself and Planet X and uh, that's a lot of questions. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, man. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Levi Combs. Um, I've been gaming for 30 plus years. I am the publisher, creative head, and writer at Planet X Games. Uh, you might know some of my stuff. Uh, Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, Escape from Skullcano Island, um, The Phylactery Zine, and just a, a bunch of other uh, random stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So what have you been doing in gaming lately? What's what's this last couple of weeks uh, done for you here? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been uh, working on a couple of different projects. Um, we have a zine coming up called um, It's a Weird West a System Agnostic Zine called uh, King Tut's Root and Tootin' Weird West Extrava Bonanza, which is a mouthful. But <laughs> I can't do it, man. Every time you say it, even when I'm like listening to you talk about it to someone else on a, like a podcast, whatever, it cracks me up every time. <laughs> one more time. Give it to us one more time. Here it is. All right. All right. It's uh, King Tut's Rootin' Tootin' Weird West Extrava Bonanza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it, 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 what's it about? I mean, you've told me before, but for the listeners. It's the, so it's, it's, a, it's a weird West, like weird Western um, subgenre. Um, you could use it with, um, you know, with Boot Hill or Deadlands or Weird Frontiers or was it Dark Trails. You could use it with any of those. Um, being system agnostic, you know, it's very rules light. So it really focuses on, um, you know, characters and locations, NPCs. There's a whole interesting section on quirks and flaws. There's um, some unique items that you can pick up. And then just a lot of lore, which I'm a big, you know, a, a big fan of, um, and, of putting that into, in, into uh, our products. But um, yeah, I mean, that stuff's such just... good springboards for game masters to, you know, go off in this direction or that. I mean, yeah, lore. Yes, more of it, please. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we were going to talk about Arduin tonight, and that's really where I became a fan of it was, was reading those old Arduin memoirs. You know, they, they had, they were just so just packed full of interesting things and they just were just dripping with this, you know, uh -huh. crazy lore that I'd, I'd never heard of before. It was fantastic. And do you keep like a regular schedule as far as uh, you have like, okay, from this time to that time on these days, I'm, I'm, I'm a publisher. And then after that, I'm back to being dad and this and that, or how do you do that? I mean, yeah. So I work, you know, just, I treat it just like a normal job. So Monday through Friday, you know, I get up and I go down and I, you know, I, I'm right. And I'm doing all the, all the behind the scenes stuff for, for Planet X and, you know, the art directing and the, you know, the, uh, the early editing before I send it off to somebody who actually knows what they're doing. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, just a lot, of, a lot of writing, a lot of, um, you know, putting ideas together and, um, you know, just all the boring minutiae that nobody ever talks about that goes into making you know games and modules and fanzines and stuff that you know a lot of that gets done monday through friday but yeah on weekends 100 i'm i'm back to being you know a husband and a, and a father yeah i, I kind of i'm not at the like regular schedule sort of scenario with uh with my stuff yet i'm kind of if i got an hour free it's like okay you know nobody's on the computer i'm jumping on there getting a little bit done but uh it's getting to where i'm, I'm looking at needing to set regular hours because uh, i'm finding it especially as I've got a couple projects going, it's really hard to stay on point if you don't have dedicated time. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Um, and you went to ShireCon this last weekend? Uh, yeah, I went to ShireCon yeah, up in Connecticut. Um, that is a show that's put on by Tom Wilson, uh, which a lot of folks might know from his um, fantastic fanzine, Back to Basics, which is a BX D&D &D, uh, fanzine. Uh, that's incredible. It's like, too, right? What's that? Uh, he does Gamazine too. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, yeah he's a very prolific. Very, he's a really smart guy, and doesn't you know he's you know he's uh, doesn't look like any IT guy that you'll 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 ever see. Um, <laughs> Tom is uh he's very very gracious host. Yeah, he was it was it was great to to go down to Connecticut or sorry drive up to Connecticut and uh, toss some dice with uh, with him and, and and everybody else there. Nice. I'd gone to Gen Con this last weekend, and with, with COVID and all, it was, of course, pretty small compared to normal, which which for me is nice, because that was one of the reasons I'd quit going, uh, is just it, it got to be just too many people just, you know, had that feel of a being in a cattle call kind of thing, just all jammed together. <laughs> um, it, it was nice. I mean, I you know, a lot of people had a lot of fun there, and uh, I, you know, I, I blame myself for, for not coming away feeling better about it. It just uh, had a lot of a lot of the newer games, very little outside of that, and uh, and that's the stuff I like. I like hitting those weird games that I never got a chance to play when they came out, and experiencing all the different mechanics and stuff that are out there. And yes, sir. A little, little absent of that, but 
you know, it, it was fun. I got a got a test play one of my games that I'm, I'm working on, and uh, got a got into a, a Torg game at the end of the night thanks to a guy named Dan. Dan, if you're out there, thank you, man. That was really cool of you. He had two tickets that uh, he'd bought for a friend, uh, or a ticket that he'd bought for a friend, and uh, the friend didn't show up. He's like, "Hey, man, just come play." And so that was great. But uh, nice. What uh, what cons are you going to go to this next year? Uh, so you know, last year uh, it was you know, despite COVID, <laughs> it was kind of nice because all the cons were online. So uh, I mean, I I kind of lost count, but I think I hit twenty four cons last year. Um, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, about about every weekend I had something at least one night that I was you know premiering my game at, but uh, nice. you know this year a lot of that's gone away. Uh, I'm I'm going to Game Hole Con. I'm going to do Impossible Realities online again. Thinking about Gary Con, depending on how Game Hole goes, and then North Texas. I don't you know if I got to sell blood from now till then, I'm going to go to North Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite con too, man. Uh, by by far. Um, I'm gonna hit game. I'm gonna hit game hole con as well. <clears throat> I'm a special guest at that one, and and at Gary Con. Um, so I'm looking forward to going to both of those. I'll be hitting Total Con, oh, yeah. and um, yeah, oh, that, that's up in uh, that's Marlboro, a, is that Massachusetts. Is that Total Con? Yeah, Massachusetts? Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the guys who go to um, who go to uh, North Texas and go to Shire Con also go to uh, to Total Con. They they kind of cater to. The OSR scene as well. They have there's you know there's plenty of um, BX and first edition AD and D and you know Gamma World and all those older games that you know are kind of phasing out uh, to new players. Those are you know there's still there's still people running those games. People like me. <laughs> I love uh, I love running uh, BX and man for first dead. So yeah, I'll be at all those um, as well as uh, North Texas next year, of course. Excellent. Now, do you do kind of like a big reveal at cons? Do you you try to launch any of your your products? at a con or no but no almost you know with i was i was gonna say like you know normally when i go to a con i i almost always have something in the works you know it's, it's either uh, has is getting ready to fund or getting ready to launch or is in the, is in the process of funding um i mean this year i ran by the end of the year i will have ran seven kickstarters this wow. year so you know the, that kind of leaves the the door wide open for having something going at all times whenever i go to a con <laughs> well our uh, our next segment is uh the grail quest uh so in case uh you're new to listening to this podcast and then for levi's benefit uh grill quest is where we talk about anything we're looking for in gaming uh could be that uh you know last version or last printing of some you know module or whatever to complete the collection could be something you know more figurative that we're looking for a way to solve a problem at the table a way to accomplish something in our writings um so for grill quest what are we looking for what's what's out there that we need to find go and tell your master that we have been charged by god with a sacred quest real quest um i have two things one i actually found this year um and another thing is something I'd like to actually run by you and kind of see what you think about it. Um, but while I was in North Texas, I went, uh, I got there a couple of days early and I saw my sister and, you know, saw some friends. Um, and I went to this store um, called Dallas Vintage Toys. And they had a, they had a, um, they had the old Tiamat, the old LJN Tiamat action figure from the early 80s. And they're really hard to, they're really hard to find. 
uh, especially, you know, not broken, you know, into a hundred pieces and with their wings intact and working and, and all that. And I know this isn't like a, like a game supplement or a game thing, but it is totally game related because it's oh, the yeah. very first, you know, Tiamat action figure. Um, and if you had, you know, by today's standards with all the articulation and different things, it looks pretty hokey. But, you know, to me, this thing came out in like 83 or 84. I was nine or 10 years old and it was, you know, I always wanted it, you know, and uh, could just never, could just never lay my hands on it. And as a collector, you know, older, it's, they're almost impossible to, to come across in good shape, you know, where, where all the pieces are there and they work, you know, the wings flap and all that. Um, so when I saw it, you know, there at the, at that store, like, I was like, I, I just got to have this thing. So I finally, after, you know, like 30 years, <laughs> laid my hands on this on this finally laid my hands on Tiamat <laughs> that's awesome I had a buddy that uh, had like everything from that line uh and I didn't even know it until we were older we had me at his house I think it was like late junior high about the time that like we're kind of getting a little too cool for gaming and that sort of thing and he sure. uh, opens up this chest in his room and it's like everything I mean all the little bendies from that line all the you know the action figures the little snake uh snake faced uh dungeon thing and then it's oh. like you know i, I got to come up with an excuse why we need to look through this stuff right you know because we're, we're like you know <laughs> real cool and everything oh, you know 14 or whatever hey uh uh what what all's in here man is it you know and uh oh man that those were just phenomenal toys for the time they came out i mean the detail and everything yeah no 100 percent. they were impeccably designed like you, if you go back even today that all the designs really i say all the designs most of the designs <laughs> really really uh hang in there and, and stand up over stand the test of time that you know the war duke strong heart you know you've got was it uh melf melfi elf um yeah elf like born the, uh, the, the dwarf mercy on the cleric you know they all oh yeah i think he was just called titan actually there was like a, a, a Viking called North Lord. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then there the, was a guy, the, yeah, the Titan. He was in yellow. He just and he wasn't even really a Titan. He was just like a foot taller than everybody <laughs> oh, <yeah>. else. <laughs> it's kind of silly, but man, th those are great toys. Yeah. It, uh, do you happen to know why LGN uh, went out of business? Oh, I don't. Do you? Yes. Yeah. So, um, Hello? I, I did a little research oh. on this. I forget why, but. Um, so they, one of the other lines of toys they had, I'm going to forget the name, but it was uh, basically a realistic toy gun. It was like the, the most realistic they could make of, of all different types of like, you know, firearms and that sort of thing. And uh, they had the little orange caps on them, but they were deemed, I guess, I guess in different parts of the United States, uh, kids would like tape over the caps or spray paint them and like pass them off as actual guns. And I guess it got to be like a lawsuit thing and all this, uh, and it just crushed their company. What? Yeah, toy guns. Oh my gosh! No way. Oh my god! I had no idea. Yeah, it's pretty wild, <laughs> man. I remember back in the day. I, I remember I had a Z, um, <laughs> and it looked. I mean, from a distance, it looked pretty real. You know, <laughs> like and you could take that little um, orange or yellow cap that was on the end of the gun you could totally take that off oh yeah but we were always out in the woods playing like red dawn you know <laughs> <laughs> pretending that the russians were attacking Ruskies. <laughs> yeah oh no oh, totally 
So you said you had two things. What was the second thing? Oh, yeah. Let me run this by you, man. Um, so <clears throat> I've been, you know, I, I looked at some of my older work. I say older, just a couple of years old. But, <laughs> um, some of the stuff that I've done previously. Um, and I realized like, like some, it's a little bit longer than it needs to be. Like I look at like OSE or some of the, um, some of the newer OSR stuff that's coming out. And um, I think I'm a little too verbose. And I, I talked to Jim Wampler about this uh, from Up Puppy Games. Um, and, you know, he said, that's very common, you know, with, with, you know, with writers, we just end up just, you know, just writing too much. You know, you say, oh, I, I need to write 4,000 words for this, for this adventure or this article. And then you end up doing 10, you know, <laughs> you're just like, I, I, how do I cut this down? So it's a real problem. I say a real problem. It's a, it's an issue for me right now um, when I'm writing things like, is this too long? So I really want to take a look at trying to learn how to chop down what I write, make it more concise, make it more direct um, so that, you know, you don't have to wade through three or four paragraphs um, to get the information that you could get maybe in one paragraph or maybe three or four sentences you know what i'm saying you know i absolutely know what you mean and i'm i'm terrible at it man anyone that's read my uh my books knows that uh man i, I never met an adjective i didn't love you know and and <laughs> I, I try to kill my babies as they call it you know i try to go in there and dice things off it's like no no don't need that but uh man it's hard it's really hard because you, you get in that fight with yourself about well no this sounds beautiful or this you know this gives a clearer image of what I'm talking about, but, but you're right, man. It really doesn't. It just slows down the use of that information. No, a hundred percent. I'm doing this project with um, Carl Sternberg. He's a skull fungus oh, yeah. on Twitter and, um, and Instagram. Uh, he's, we did a bunch of stuff together. Um, uh, Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, how, uh, Occurrence of Howling Crater. He it's did a bunch of the maps for a, a lot of my adventures. Um, great collaborator but you know <clears throat> we're doing something now where he says hey I've, I've got this i've got these uh this really cool hex crawl i said you know i he, you know here it is I said can you uh can you write it and i said well absolutely you know i'd love to any, any chance to work with carl's like you know great awesome um so i i you know kind of showed him what i was working on it was like i don't know 14 pages long and he's like He's like, Levi, it's a hex crawl, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like each one of these needs to be about half a page at most, you know, like, uh, so I was like, oh my gosh, you know, cause I, you know, like the mystery, you started one of the hexes is a town, you know, so I wrote like three pages on the town, you know, like these are the temples and the, you know, this is the, the notable locations and the NPCs. Here's who runs it. Here's who really runs it. You know, <laughs> all these, all these little details, um, but now I, I told him, I said, look, why, why don't we just do a long version and then I'll, I'll chop it down and do you a short version. So we're going to do that. And, um, you know, he'll be able to use the short version for, for his project. And then, you know, maybe sometime on down the line, I can use the longer version for something, you know, <laughs> either way. I mean, it, it was still fun to write and you know, he's a, he's a gem to work with. So, um, but that's the problem is that I just end up writing way, way too much. Yeah, no, and it, it, if you come up with a solution for that, man, let me know because um, I mean I'm kind of doing what you're talking about, where I just kind of let it just all come out on the page, and then as I go back through it a few more times, I try to cut and cut and cut. But uh, man, that's a pain, you know. It, it's it's just painful to to give up those little words, and uh, yet it needs to happen. <laughs> oh, I, no, hundred percent. 
Um, and I, I'm aware of it too when I'm writing. You know, I'll, I'll be writing something or writing a description for something, and I'm telling myself in my head, I'm going, this needs to be a sentence long. Or this needs to be one paragraph and then i look down and there's three paragraphs you know <laughs> or you know it just it just keeps going and so it's it's something that i've, I've got to get better about and i've really got to uh, work towards improving but um i would like to see it happen you know so if anybody out there has any advice please just slide right into my dms and and, and let me know all about it because um i need help <laughs> right into the podcast we'll, we'll, we'll get it to levi okay uh, this old dungeon at gmail.com write us in your your tricks for thinning out your edits uh and uh and we'll pass that along that's yes 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 and more yes it, 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 i hate to keep dragging into this topic but here's the other thing i always wonder when i'm writing you know as a game master let's say you're writing about a character or something that's in the the adventure um as a game master, like when I go to actually run that adventure, I've got to like have a voice for that guy or gal. I got to kind of know like what their, uh, you know, what, what their little quirks are and what, you know, what their motives are, how far they'll go to get their way and what kind of leverage they'll use to do that. Uh, and so sometimes I find myself putting that all into it, but then I wonder, well, you know, is, is that me trying to run the game for the person who buys the game? Should, should that be just left out and they do that, you know? I think the way to, uh, at least the way for me, how I discover the, like the voices of NPCs or how things, like kind of the flow of how things run in an adventure is through play testing. Um, Cause I can write a bunch of stuff down and say, okay, this is going to happen in this room or these, you know, this is what happens in, in this area. But until I play test it, I really don't know how it's going. And not just once, but several times, you really don't know like how broken something is until <laughs> you play test it you know oh, yeah. um and that's like you know that goes all the way back to like handing out certain magic items to your players like <laughs> you know sometimes you, you hand out something to that that's a little too powerful you know and it, it ends up wrecking the game or you hand out something that a really clever player um you know can utilize to um just really throw a monkey wrench in, in your game like for, for instance this weekend at ShireCon. Matt Roberts was playing a ranger who had a decanter of endless water and they got all the way to the end of the, um, all the way to the third level. They're in the, they're in the, the mummy bride's uh, tomb, you know, the whole battle's going down, you know, there's a giant snake, there's an evil, you know, mummy bride, you know, terrorizing everything and uh he cuts loose with this decanter of endless water and a geyser and he's like knocking pygmy zombies down and he's uh shooting basically shooting a, fire a, a fireman's hose in, in, <laughs> into this giant snake's mouth and i'm like this is you, you know you, don't, you never you never penalize uh, a, a smart or inventive player but i was like oh man this is uh this is something i should have seen coming he's he's really wrecking wrecking shop of this thing and on one hand, I was like, oh, I need to, you know, maybe the next time that I, that I write this or rewrite this, I need to, you know, maybe fix this as far as, you know, the dimensions of the room or how everything's set up. But on the other hand, I'm cheering for Matt because what a cool cinematic moment yeah. that was, you know, like, how cool is that? Yeah, I, uh, I don't have much physically that I'm looking for anymore. I kind of want to, kind of want to get a copy of the uh, horror on the uh, Orient Express. Oh, Orient yeah. Express, I mean. Uh, but I got to find it a re for a reasonable amount. It's just right now it's trading for too high for what I can, what I want to put into it. But I'd like to get that just because uh, I've heard so many great things about it. 
and I think I want to do something like it, you know, not like exactly like it, but in the context of uh, like an adventure that's contained in a very small space, but has fragments that pull you out of that space kind of thing. Um, oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that one and uh, Masks, Masks of Nayar Lathotep. Yeah. Both of those, you know, those are big, you know, massive campaigns um, for Call of Cthulhu. And I, I'm a big fan of both of those. So, yeah, I'm looking for that physically. And then, uh, you know, in a, in a non-physical sense, right now, I'm just uh, just trying to find the uh, the way to, to finish up a particular adventure. Not, you know, it's, it's, it's a sandbox sort of thing. But, um, you know, with, with sound, sandboxes, you, you get in the danger of just having them just be stuff that people can do you know and not having any way for the game master to kind of call an end to that adventure uh so ron howard uh once told me that hey you know you, you've got to have a, a spin down mechanic you have to have something that's going on within the sandbox that that kind of irises in that the that eventually the players have to deal with it or else you know quits for everybody and then that's how you kind of bring that to a close so I'm kind of working it's on that. For one really good years. advice. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, uh, uh, you know he's done a, a, a lot of stuff with uh, oh, what is his game, the Troll One. Hang on, it. Can't think. I, uh, but anyhow, I said Ron Howard, but I meant Ron Edwards. Wrong, Ron, Ron. But uh, Ron, Ron Edwards is who I was trying to say. But uh, yeah. Anyhow, uh, so that's that's what I'm looking for. Uh, so, and I think that brings us to our next segment which would be letters from the homeowners. And I know Levi, you weren't around to, uh, to get some of these uh, letters to you, but uh, I'm gonna have you help me answer them if you don't mind. Sure. We just got a letter, we just got a letter, we just got a letter, wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. All right, so the first one actually isn't technically a letter from, uh, from listeners, well, sort of it is. A, a buddy of mine, an artist that works with me and an uh, uh, old friend of mine, Christopher Tupa, He'd sent me a text that got me thinking, well, that's, that's kind of an interesting question in a, in a way. Um, he asked, what is a grognard? Bill, this was uh, when Bill Barsh was on, Bill keeps calling himself an old grognard, and you mention it in your intro. Just curious, or this is me speaking. I think it's also pertinent to ask what makes a person a grog, grog, ugh, grognard. So grognard, I mean, this is a term we throw around all the time. Levi, it, it, You've heard the term before, obviously. I mean, it's pretty common. What when when you hear it, what do you think? Well, there's you know, I don't want to say there's a lot of debate about it, but it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think when, and I don't want to speak for him, but I'm just uh, supposing here. But when when Bill says he's an old grognard, I think it just means that he you know goes back to the beginning. You know, um, whether that's you know uh, playing old BX or uh, first edition, or even going back further to you know like the chainmail days or the you know, the wargaming days, um, you know, Bill's been around a lot, you know, a long time. He's, he's, he's done a lot of, you know, uh, great things with pace setter, but when he says old grognard, I mean, I, that's what I would imagine. He's again, I'm not speaking for him. I just, that's just what I'm, I'm imagining. Uh, he is, he means by that, you know, he just, he goes back to the beginning, you know, he's, you know, one of the, one of the guys from the, from the, from the old days, the old school, you know, um, yeah, I when I think of a grognard, it, I really think of, of, you know folks who had you know the old whether or not it's the chain mail or you know the the old red box or the you know the white box or or you know any of those older editions you know um 
back when you know back when it was D became popular and before gaming became popular and in, in, in general you know it was just just very small groups of, of like-minded individuals and you know game stores and and uh, living rooms and garages and basements playing you know this this game that they had fallen in love with um that's what it means to me but again this is a, a topic that is hotly debated uh <laughs> whether or not it's it's twitter or discord or, or facebook or you know any of those those little message boards yeah no I, and that's one of the reasons i think it's interesting to, to talk about like who is a grognard or, or what is a grognard because there there is uh you know that debate and there are some people that um kind of feel like they want ownership of that word like it's you know a title that you have to earn you have to earn it under their their credentials or whatever but yeah that's i kind of you know when i texted back to him i said well you know this is a a term from what i understand it comes from um the, the changing of the the french government and uh, it was in reference to the the old french soldiers that wouldn't change their ways to serve the new government or at least were harder to train or to to, to you know give them the new training or whatever and uh, oh wow really yeah huh so I've always kind of had it in my mind that these are people that just aren't ready to abandon some of the old games or the old ways of, of running games. And that's just been my take on it. But uh, but I think your take of, of, of as far as like, you know, these are you know the, the people that were back in the day doing it like it was done and, and, and people that enjoy that kind of aesthetic. Uh, I, you know, that's, I think, a legit interpretation of it. Well, yeah, but I mean, you make a very good point about um, these are folks who maybe don't want to abandon a certain style of play because i mean let's let's be honest there's a there is a difference in the style of play um that kind of that kind of built around um the origins of dungeons and dragons uh than what kind of came later you know whether or not it was a play in the 80s 90s or you know the, the play now which is vastly different than you know what was what was being played in the uh, you know gary gagax's you know game room you know these are very two two very different animals you know and i, and I would imagine if the, you, you asked you know quite a few grognards uh if, if they thought that you know what what they thought of fifth edition D D, you know you're going to get some some grumbles and some curmudgeon you know <laughs> sort of sort of replies too survivable um, yeah no and that that's really what i'm getting at is you yeah. know how deadly the game was you know for for um you know especially when you played it rules as written you know uh -huh. um, your magic user could have you know his only spell could be read magic and you, he might have one hit point you know and if he survived the second level it felt like the greatest victory in the world you know um but you know, it was just one of those things where you know you, you it was a time and place and the game was was you know kind of at its um very humble beginnings um and the you know the people who were there for the for you know for for that game during those times i mean can you imagine being there at the dawn of something huge like dungeons and dragons yeah. you know it being being on the you know first on the ship for something like that incredible yeah yeah uh i don't know i think it was halfway through last year um man i wish i could remember what podcast it was but somebody was interviewing um the guy that invented the thief class and mm. uh, man i can't even remember his name now but uh at any rate just that thought you know i had never crossed my mind that like all these classes came from somebody saying, well, what if we had a character that was like this? And it's just fascinating to, to think of that, you know, being one of those pioneers in this uh, hobby. And on a related note, uh, you know, reading the uh, Arduin grimoire here for this podcast, and I know we'll get into that more here in a moment, but uh, 
it kind of reminded me that as much as a grognard as I think I am, I'm totally not. <laughs> you know, when you start looking at some of the rules and stuff that he was proposing and in that style of play, uh, it's like, oh, oh no, I'm I guess I'm more towards five even. I think I am. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, listen, it's just as much as um, as the games were very deadly and uh, your, your, your friendly local dungeon master could be, you know, the, this is the way the, the rules are or this is how it's going to go down. You know, my word is final. You had DMs like Hargrave who kind of threw everything to the wind and just said, ah, you know what? Um, I, I know there's no, uh, there's no robots in the, <laughs> there's no robots in the, in the monster manual, but um, Hey, listen, there, I'm, I'm, I like robots. So I'm, I'm putting them in my game. So, you know, let's, Hey, let's have three pages on prismatic walls, you know, in, in my book. <laughs> you know, like, I was just looking at like, that one before the podcast. <laughs> You know, the, the guys like a guy like Hargrave and, and the Dragon Dragon Tree Press guys, they just threw caution to the wind and and just did what they thought was cool and interesting. And that's that's what you know resounds with me over time about those um, about those particular products. Mm-hmm. We have one more letter here, and I actually saved this one. Actually, I came to us uh, prior to the last one, last recording I had. But knowing that you were coming up, I thought this would be a really good one for us to banter with. Uh, So this is from Michael Anthony. He writes, Hey, Dungeon Crew, you and some of your co-hosts have been mentioning making games and running gaming companies. I've been writing games for my players for years. Sometimes I think about trying to publish some of them or even putting together a book featuring my campaign world, uh, Heiliger. It's a lot of Viking and a little Mongolian. I'm in. (laughs) Uh, What made you take the leap of faith into publishing? What do you look for in a piece you've written that makes you say, yes, sirree, that one's right for putting into the press. I've been enjoying the show and wish Thomas and Briggy well. I hope to hear them again soon. It's been fun to meet all these new friends in the meantime. Any special Halloween episodes coming up? All right, so a couple parts there. So uh, taking the leap of faith into publishing and uh, what uh, when we're working on something, what makes you say, yeah, that one's ready for press? um it's always interesting how people come to their ideas or how people start out a scenario or an adventure how, how they start out creating them i should say um some people start with a map some people start with you know just a, a page full of notes some people already have an idea you know pretty much full formed in their head some people have to you know um kind of outline it and then uh, go from there kind of fill in the details around that um, so everybody has a different process of how they get into, you know, creating a scenario or creating an adventure. Is that the question you were asking? Well, or... uh, he, he asks kind of two things. One, uh, what made you get to the point that you're like, you know what, I'm going to open up Planet X Games and I'm going to publish adventures. And then the second thing he asks is in that process, as you're, as you're writing things, uh, how do you get to the point that you say, okay, this, this one's ready now, this one's ready to to put out there for other people to enjoy oh i i can only uh tell you know my story briefly because i've told it before um but um i had been kicking around for um i don't know a year year and a half um with a couple ideas for adventures and scenarios and wasn't getting anywhere i didn't know anybody in the industry i didn't have my foot in the industry and when i say industry i just mean you know just in in publishing in Mm -hmm. you know the 
you know, I, I, I don't, I don't hate that word, but I don't think it adequately describes our hobby and you know, our hobby is not really interesting in industry, but I just didn't know anybody. Um, but one guy, I did, I did actually know uh, one person, Casey Christopherson. He's the art director at Frog God Games. And he and I had met at a con, you know, 13, 14 years prior, and we had gamed together. And we, we hit it off and had, had stayed in contact, you know, through social media um, that whole time. And I, I approached him for advice. I said, hey, man, I just, uh, I've got this adventure. I don't know, you know, I don't know what to do with it. I can't get anybody to leave and look at it, you know. What do I do? And he said, he gave me the best advice ever. He says, well, listen, you're living in the age of Kickstarter and Indiegogo. and I will help you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll put you in contact with artists. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hand. If you have a question, you know, at, at 10 o'clock at night, call me. You know, <laughs> uh, he was very, very generous with his knowledge and his experience and his time. So with that in my back pocket, like knowing that I could lean on Casey a little bit, um, I just decided, okay, I'm going to run a Kickstarter. I'm going to, I'm going to write this thing, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, and I just, I just did it. You know, that old, old adage of, you know, 50% is just showing up. <laughs> that was, you know, that, that pretty much held true. Um, and that was the genesis of it all. Like I ran my first Kickstarter. It was successful, um, you know, on a very small scale successful, but, um, you know, I got, I got in contact with artists. Um, I got in contact with other writers, and there's a lot of folks um, very early on who reached out to, to help me just because I knew Casey. So having that foot in the door and having, having uh, his, uh, I don't know, blessing, you know, like, hey, this guy's okay. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's that sort of thing. Um, that allowed me to get my, my toe in the door, so, you know, so, so to speak, so that, you know, um, I could ask questions. And it turns out, you know, that all this stuff about, you know, I, I thought, oh, I don't want to approach these creators. I don't want to, I don't want to bother these folks. Um, they don't know me. Uh, you know, all that was just in my head. Uh, turns out in, in our hobby that everybody is pretty nice. You know, um, of all the folks that I've met over the last four or five years, you know, almost to a man, they have all been just very generous, very nice, um, very forthcoming, you know, very easy to reach out to. <clears throat> I heard, um, I heard Skeeter Green say something at um, North Texas RPG Con 2018, I believe it was, uh, that he said, we're all just different versions of the same dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he was right, you know, like, I, we're all just guys who love these games, you know, that, that love to have our, have these, our, we have imaginations that make us want to create these scenarios and put it down on paper and create we want to share our art and you know that that's kind of across the board whether or not you're an artist or a writer or a graphic designer or you know um i think all of us have that in common so my advice is just do it you know just literally if you have you know uh if you have 16 pages of, of an adventure don't try to uh don't try to reinvent the wheel don't try to have a thousand stretch goals on your first campaign and promise t-shirts and dice and <laughs> miniatures and all this extra stuff. Um, just keep your first project nice and simple, you know, uh, create an adventure or a fanzine um, or, you know, just something fairly short, uh, fairly concise and, and, and really make it something that you're interested in, you know, make sure it's a, it's something genuine and then get it out there, you know, get your friends who, who are also, um, either publishers or artists or 
other writers, get, get them all to look at it, you know, li- you know, listen to what they have to say to a, to a point, don't lose your voice, you know, to, to somebody else's advice, but, you know, listen to constructive criticism and, and just whittle it down until it's the best that you can make it and then put it out there. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't really add to that. That's, I mean, I, I think the, just the concept that we, we, we imagine things are much harder than they are uh, as far as, you know, becoming a part of the hobby, you know, in, in a, you know, publishing sense, uh, especially nowadays. I mean, it's the, the time is, the time has come here. If, if you ever have desired to, to write something and to put it out there, there's so many ways to do that, that are almost zero investment. If you, if, you know, you're willing to, to put the elbow grease into it and then just keeping it small, like you're saying, uh, I was surprised on my first Kickstarter, how many people wanted the the uh, uh, PDF version of it and uh, I could have set my goal so much lower if I knew that that's the way it was going to go um, you know just because you know with the PDF you don't have the distribution you don't have the the printing costs and all that so uh, you, you could make a very small goal on a Kickstarter if you're you know looking to just put something out in, in PDF form and have some money to get you the art or whatever it is you need the editing and stuff like that um, no, absolutely. Listen, I mean, the, the I, I was helped, you know, like I, I had a very generous and, and um, a kind mentor, you know, Casey, um, who well, and you're paying who that for me. too, not to not to make you feel well, that's, that's exactly what I mean. I was about, just about to say, like, um, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you have questions or you need help or, you know, whatever limited advice I can give, man, just hit me up with a, with a DM or get a hold of me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Just let me know, man. I, if it doesn't matter that we don't know each other. I mean, if you're, you know, we're all, we're all one big kind of like weird, <laughs> nerdy, geeky D and D family, you know, we're all, we're all RPG, you know, friends. So get a hold of me, you know, if I can't answer your question, I'll put you in contact with somebody who can. And I, and I mean that, like, I'm not just saying that, you know, on the air. I mean, just <laughs> literally, if you have a question, please reach out. I'd say the same, only I, I don't have quite the, the wealth of knowledge yet that, that you do. I'm, I'm multiple steps behind you, but uh, the same thing uh, for what I do know, you know, it's, it's free to anyone that wants to bend my ear. So, oh, I don't th- say, I wouldn't say I have a wealth of knowledge, not <laughs> compared to some folks, but I would say that I have learned from my mistakes and there were enough people who helped uh, guide me out of the way of making bigger mistakes that I could maybe uh, help other folks. Um, you know, the Skeeter Green uh, and Zach Glazer of Frog God Games, they run a great seminar at the cons they go to called um, small, Indian Small Press uh, Publishers you know, Seminar. If you're ever at a con and those guys are there, go to that seminar because it is a wealth of information that will help you avoid landmines and small publishing you know um and then they'll talk to you afterward like they're very kind they're very they're there is you know they're very motivated to to help other small publishers and uh they, they've helped me they've helped all kinds of folks so i can't speak highly enough about that seminar you know it's it's very it's not pretentious at all it's just you know those guys they get up there they answer questions they give out some advice and it's good stuff to know so again if you're listening to this and you're at a con Skeeter Greens, Zach Glazier, uh, Small Press Publishing Seminar, that's the one to go to. Most definitely, definitely go to that one. Reach on. Very good, yeah. 
Yeah, I believe they're all set for one at uh, Game Hole, too. So I know a lot of our listeners are in and around the Wisconsin from what it looks like on the download map. So, uh, yeah, backyard guys, get there, go to it. It's amazing. Good, good advice. And, it, it, you know, honestly, that seminar is just kind of a cool hang anyways, because, you know, like I said, those, those, they're not pretentious guys. They're just they're they're like us. You know, they're just guys who. Um, who want to pay it forward and want to see others succeed and they they want to see small publishing take off they they want to see uh, people who have a dream in rpgs they want to see that sort of thing they want to see it take off so you know their heart is in a very very good place and um they're doing a, a big service for for the little guy you know so yeah check it out and then the second part of this question was uh knowing when something's uh, ready to release into the wild as far as publishing goes. Uh, do you have any sort of litmus test that you use on that? Or, or how do you know when you're ready to go to press? It, just what we were talking about before, about how um, you just whittle it down, keep whittling, whittling it, whittling it until you, you have it to where you, you know, I can't make this any better. You know, it's easy enough to go, oh, man, you know, I, I did it. I wrote this thing. And then you do a first pass and you're like, oh, maybe I could do a little <laughs> bit more. Um, typically what I do is when, when I'm done writing, writing something, I don't look at it for like a week. You know, I just, uh, I, I, I just take a break from it and then I go back to it and, uh, go, Oh yeah, I could probably connect this with this. And, um, Hey, maybe I should, I should cut this word out, um, and replace it with this, you know, the, the description uh, could be better. Let me move it over here. You know, if this, this piece of art would go great here, I need to create a piece of art for this, you know? Um, let me run this by my, you know, by a couple of friends and see what they think. And maybe you know, they might have some, some ideas that, you know, I, I can generate into something better, you know? Um, so yeah, just whittle it and whittle it and whittle it. When you can't whittle it anymore, you're like, I just, I don't know how I can make this any better Then then it's ready for, you know, the editor to get their hands on it. And, you know, some, some folks that you respect to take a look at it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, for, for me, I do have to have a firm date that like, you know, outside of it just not being any good, I'm going to launch it at this point because I've got a bad habit of just never feeling like it's quite where I want it. Always thinking that there's something mm. else here. There's some something else I can bring to the surface on this. But uh, definitely, like, my other thing is I, I like to get three really solid full-on play tests of the game that are successful before I'm like, okay, now I can trust it's going to gonna run well for folks. And it's pre preferably one of those three being somebody else running it and me just kind of hanging. Um, that noise happened, but that would be the ideal uh, in my mind. Anyhow. Oh yeah. Play testing is just so, so important to, to making sure something, I mean, it, it might sound good in your head, but making sure that it runs, it makes sense to the players <laughs> yeah. and that uh, it'll, and it'll make sense to the person who is not you that is running it, <laughs> you yes. know, when they read those little blocks of text or, you know, yeah, all that's very, very important. Yeah, it's so easy to assume a connection. And you need to let, and I was just gonna say, I'm, it's, I'm it's, sorry, go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say that it's it's easy to assume a connection that you have in your mind that never quite made it to the page, you know. And so turning it around, getting someone else to run it, and 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 kind of seeing where they go with things, and seeing if it lines up like it did for you, uh, is pretty important. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. Um, one of the things that I realized when I went back, so I, I recently did a um, a uh, DCC compatible version for my very first module, and I ran a Kickstarter for that, and so so I had to rewrite it um, using you know in make to make it DCC compatible, you know. Mm -hmm. 
um, the rules between DCC and you know Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition are you know, quite different. So. <laughs> yeah. um, I had to, you know, and there's, there's the, the feel and flow of a DCC module is different than a fifth edition module. You know, they, they have a very, I, don't, I wouldn't say streamlined, but they have a very particular way that it feels and it reads. So going back, so basically I had to rewrite my first module and going back and rereading my first module and realize, oh man, I didn't have to say that there were creeping vines and, you know, crumbling floors and you know tree roots and all this you know all this stuff mm-hmm. in this dungeon i didn't have to say that in every <laughs> in, in every single encounter block you know why didn't i just make a you know a little a little sidebar at the beginning saying hey this is the <laughs> the features mm-hmm. that the rooms have in common <laughs> boom you know i knock out like <laughs> like a thousand <laughs> words so it's just little things like that, man. You go back and you notice things, and uh, as as you're never going to be 100 percent happy with your own work, uh, even when you look, especially when you look back on it. Mm-hmm. But um, the chance to, to to rewrite that stuff was was a, a blessing. <laughs> did it? Uh, did you know what you're getting into it uh, from the get go? I mean, as far as the mentality that you're rewriting it. I mean, at first we we're like, oh, I'm going to restat it, or was it? right from the get-go you knew hey this is basically a rewrite i i did understand that it was going to be a rewrite um good man games put out this excellent resource called how to write adventure modules that don't suck (laughs) Uh, it's a great book if you're an aspiring adventure writer or you want to just even make short scenarios i highly recommend it it's available on their website right now Um, even if you only get the pdf it's there's some great advice in there and um one of the chapters is written by joseph goodman you know the 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 head guy, the the dark master over there at uh, Goodman Games, um, and it's the best chapter. He has the greatest advice for what he looks for in a in, a, in an adventure, and then um, what uh, kind of the common mistakes that that folks make, and and how to you know how to dodge those mistakes. And it's that you know having read that book you know cover to cover like you know three times. Um, and especially that chapter, I knew that I, when I went when I went back to write a DCC compatible module, it was definitely going to have to be pretty much rewritten. I mean, I had a guideline because there's already a module, uh-huh. I already written it for Five E, but I was definitely going to have to rewrite it. That's why the, the the this new version, the DCC version of Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, is um, is I, in my opinion so much better than the first one. <laughs> That, that's saying a lot because I, I really do dig the first one man I, it's uh to me it's comparable uh to like i don't know, to, to me it's almost like a, a, a ravenloft sort of thing where it's like you've got this you know really cool enemy uh that, that you can put a lot of background behind and you can kind of build up the, the menacingness of her and then uh that too man it's it's just got everything in it you know a lot of a lot of cool little little monster encounters uh the 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 tunnel of slimes you know the little spinning tunnel of slimes and all oh, that yeah. and it's, it's got some fun stuff <laughs> there's a there you know there's a there's a um a little puzzle slash trap in there that it, it gets everyone um because it sets itself up as as like an area where these statues are going to come alive but um you, you go into this little chamber you know and there's there's uh five statues of these native warriors with their arms crossed you know and one of them has this big star-shaped gem in his head. And, uh, you know, you look at it, you know, any even half-experienced gamer looks at it and says, ah, we take the gem out, the statue's <laughs> going to come alive and attack us. 
but then that doesn't happen you know i, I don't want to you know i don't want to spoil it but uh it looks like it's going to go one way and then boom it goes a completely <laughs> different way so that that's one that always gets uh everyone i mean no play tests like literally dozens of games nobody's ever thought oh hey maybe this will happen instead but yeah that's always very satisfying <laughs> very cool uh he did end his uh letter asking about special halloween episode and uh I don't know if it's really special or not, but um, right now I'm trying to get together a crew to look at the uh, old Ghostbusters game uh, from West End. And uh, nice. looks like that'll happen. Uh, don't know when in October it'll come out. I'm, I'm guessing probably middle of the month because I, I need to kind of dodge the, the convention there and, and uh, get it done before that. So so there you go, Michael Anthony. That's what, the, that's what we got, man. <laughs> and that brings us to the main event here. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. So for this old dungeon this week, we're talking the Arduin Grimoire. And uh, this is, uh, I believe it uh, comes from uh, 1977 was the first one I want to say. Yeah, you're right. 1977. Yeah, written by David Hargrave, uh, who was one of the uh, the West Coast uh, crew. So you know, for those that don't know, uh, in early days of gaming, there was kind of you had the East Coast gamers, you had the West Coast gamers, and kind of the Midwest gamers. And uh, there's you know certain attributes people kind of attribute to each of those groups and and how they kind of influence gaming. So uh, Levi, you actually picked this one out. So why don't you know? what brought you to want to talk about this uh, this supplement that uh, Hargrave created? Um, what's what's your love of it here? Uh, well, I, I love Arduin Grimoire. Um, <laughs> I love the I love all the books. I love them head to toe, man. It's it's my favorite of all the old school. Like uh, when you go back to like the the mid to late seventies, it's my favorite of all the supplements that came out that weren't um, that weren't D and D. Uh -huh. you know grim uh so hargrave you know he's notorious as kind of like this uh very fun but kind of hard hard line dm you know he's a uh, old uh you know army veteran he's a vietnam veteran you know but he was part of that west coast group you know and he packed these books you know i think there were eight or nine of them he packed these books full of so much love of the hobby and it, I mean, it clearly reads through when you, when you're, when you're, you know, you're reading them. He loved gaming, and you can really, really tell. Man, Arduin is just dripping with lore and fun and interesting hooks. And even if you don't even agree with kind of what he's writing or like, you know, this weird little table that he's come up with, there's all these little things that are kind of peppered throughout the text that really fire your imagination. Um, and Arduin is just packed full of that yeah to me looking back on it here it's interesting to me how much it reminds me of the original dungeon master's guide as far as the like density of stuff and then the just yes random closet kind of idea you know like this page is about this sort of thing and that page is about you know something totally different and here's another thing and i mean you could tell like yeah, like his mind's just spinning with uh with ideas oh yeah yeah, yeah. he um I mean, look, there's no doubt that he looked at Dungeons and Dragons and said, oh, 
I can do that too. Let me just, he's really the first third party, you know, guy, not the first, but like one of the more interesting of the third party guys who, who makes a product that isn't just, you know, kind of like a, kind of a carbon copy of, of, of everything else. You know, uh-huh. he's, he's not the first, but he's one of the first uh, and the best in my, in, you know, just in my opinion, he like, again, he really packs these things. They look at There's, there's some stuff in here that's dense and it's some of it makes no sense and you're reading it and it's it's like reading stereo instructions upside down you're just like well why is this here but aside from that there's so much in here that is just uh, uh just fires your imagination it's just so cool it's so weird you know it, it really is um less like a tolkienish fantasy and more of kind of a weird fantasy you know kind of more of like a, a michael moorcock or a roger zelazny or you know and, and you can see those influences from those writers in his you know in the works yeah, but um it's just full of cool stuff man there's so much neat stuff in, the, in, the, in these uh in these books especially the first uh three or four yeah and, and and that's i think something that you know when people attribute things to the different cliques of early gaming uh that west coast that's something they always say is that you know those folks they they grew out of the the sci-fi kind of fandom and all that and a lot of their influence in gaming is, is broadening it out you know adding in elements that you wouldn't necessarily say oh, oh you know this is part of fantasy or whatever uh, and definitely you, you see it really thick in his work oh um, totally there's so many things that i can point directly to in arduin and say oh that came from you know like uh what is the uh the, there's a whole thing about hell spirals you know these these magic gates that you can kind of you know that you can take that will you know or that will take you to different places but you kind of have to walk like this weird pattern um that's right out of roger zelazny you know and the and the the amber books you know mm-hmm. um and then you know, he has stuff like the star powered mages and the rune singers and the rune weavers and you know all these different kind of offshoots of 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 magic you know and you know that's just that's you know, weird fantasy 101 right there i like his uh the forward in the first book i'm going to read just an excerpt of it here uh i, I love this because you can kind of just totally see where he's coming from um it, this be just a couple paragraphs bear with me listeners here it is about three years ago fantasy role-playing games began to become extremely popular among gamers of all types at first it was something new and wonderful and ideas and information flowed freely among the players about a year or so ago things began to change the joyous game was becoming big business, and those non-amateur game designers took on all of the trappings of things that have profit as their main motivational force. Greed, secretiveness, hunger to control the market, and all of that other garbage. Amateurs who tried to publish their ideas were being told to cease publication of their ideas even remotely resembling those of the big business types had published. Uh, yet those same people ripped off the amateurs' ideas quite freely. And with this main frequency, it kind of goes on there and uh, you can just kind of see like, you know, a lot of us that were into gaming, you know, late 70s, throughout the 80s, even into the early 90s, uh, we, we, we experienced some of that, you know, backlash from companies like TSR and stuff where they really didn't want fans to, to you know, put stuff out about their games. So it's neat to just see that. I mean, that goes clear back to the very dawn of the, the gaming uh, uh, hobby. And, and here he is, you know trying to put forth these publications as a way of being like you know hey th- this is all free out there here now you know you, you know i'm gonna 
you, you won't take my ideas. You won't let me talk about your game. I'm going to make my own, or I'm going to, you know, make it my own way and, and get this out to anyone that wants it. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you, you can go online or, or, you know, some of the, uh, Facebook groups and about Arduin and you, you, you can find a pretty good information about, you know, there, there was no love lost between, you know, Hargrave and, and TSR. Um, <laughs> but again, like I was, I was saying, like, you know, he did, you know, D and D is the, is the engine that this all runs on. I mean, sure. It gets, it grows into a different thing later on. Um, but it is the, I mean, even down to like the, the very first printings of, um, of the early books, the monsters had a, um, <laughs> they had a, uh, a percentage liar, um, in their stat block where, um, it would be, um, the percentage which they, they might lie to a player you know, when, when they were encountered. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, that was because the early, um, editions of, uh, of one of the books, you know, had a, from TSR had a, uh, a percent, percentage, percentage liar, uh, misprint. It's obviously supposed to be percentage <laughs> layer, but <laughs> Targrave saw that and he copied it over to percentage liar. Uh, and it's just hilarious, you know, that, that he did that. Um, you know, so you've got these monsters, you know, you know it's a hundred percent chance that this, that this, you know, uh, type nine demon will you know lie to you <laughs> just, i'm getting john lovitz uh, from saturday Night live in my mind here yeah yeah no no totally <laughs> yeah no totally totally but it's just little <laughs> things like that that you know yeah sure they're kind of silly but it kind of adds to the charm of the whole thing to me you know like um the fact that 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 this little misprint in one of one of tsr's uh books becomes like fact in you know our <laughs> graves arguing book it's just uh it, like i said it's a little silly but it's also part of the part of the charm yeah and then looking at all the classes that uh he put together you know i mean you have your basic stuff but you know we got a techno a courtesan a slayer an outlaw a saint the rune weaver that you were talking about uh mm-hmm. just uh and this was before D had it the the uh druid and the monk um just amazing stuff barbarian that was before unearthed arcana had it in it Uh, oh yeah Uh, witch hunters and uh star powered mages rune singers there's all kinds of of crazy stuff you know and if if you really look at it all this stuff was later adapt like you know all this stuff would later be also used by you know uh tsr and and watsi for you know their, their own books you know um was I, mean, I don't know was are we, uh hargrave the first person to ever have technological items you know used in his uh used in his game or they made it a, a main part you know where he had a whole class called techno i mean maybe i, I, I don't know i you know probably you know how, how many people were playing uh laser gun shooting techno weavers in in their home D games before dave hargrave came along probably not very many just just to add a whole nother layer i mean the, the race types i mean he's got like you know you, you could play you know what is he got in here like centaurs and uh kobolds and and it gets into more crazy stuff like uh titans and mermen and um these different uh kind of uh animal type creatures that he had specifically for his uh arduin setting the the avians and the, the piscoids and stuff like that it's just uh it's just amazing how much like he's like ah just you know throw it all on the wall and see what sticks and this is cool no totally and that's not even the crazy stuff like he had the sarigs 
um, and the Dio dance and the Franks. The Franks were like mantis men, you know, and they came in like this variety of colors and the different color kind of annotated their station in the hive, you know, like it was really cool stuff. Uh, I want to say he had like cobbits, which were like half kobold, half hobbits. <laughs> Back when they still called them hobbits, and they were halflings. Like, I want to say there was a race called Cobbits. Um, I don't think there were any any hobolds. <laughs> I think it was Cobbits. <laughs> yeah, no, his Hobbit is spelled with the two T's at the end of it. I, I have to consult my lawyer yeah, to see no, if I can stand or I, not. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the things that, like, like looking through this, I'm I'm digging through it and being like, man, you know what? What's here that uh, isn't being done anymore? That's kind of a new, new cool take on uh, mechanics for a game. And one of the things I've kind of fell in love with and think I got to do something with sometime is he has this thing where you can roll. At, like when you gain a level, you can roll to get different uh, advantages for that particular class. And I thought that was kind of cool. Where like you, you, you know, leveling up doesn't necessarily mean the same thing each time. Like each time you're you're gaining some other little aspect of that particular class you know as far as your benefits and, and the things that change for your character oh that was pretty cool. yeah he had the really cool special abilities charts um yeah. and some of them got really crazy like that one for the monks is uh is <laughs> it's something is is pretty pretty out there pretty bizarre um he also did this thing with where i guess during character generation there was like a special abilities chart where there was all these different like little things like you could be better at magic or you might be a little stronger than normal but then some of the results got really strange like where your character uh tasted bad like you tasted terrible to monsters and they were like 90 <laughs> percent chance to spit you out you know like just little things like that that again goes back to like what i think is the strength of arduin is it's just that weirdness uh-huh and that like that core strangeness to arduin that uh it's just it, it, that's what really resonates with me about about the about all these little books yeah, no, definitely. I, I couldn't imagine you could have the same character twice in this system. Uh, and I, I think no. you've been in a system all your <laughs> life and never be able to, you know, run out of, you know, new uh, iterations of characters and, and uh, abilities within those characters. Yeah, I mean, listen, these books are, are jam-packed full. Like I, I keep saying, they're just jam-packed full of all these really cool things. I mean, we kind of talked about it earlier about how he had like a couple pages just on prismatic walls. And that's in the first book. Like that's in the, the like he has like one page of like these, hey, these are the rules of Arduin. And then like, you know, a couple pages later, he's talking about prismatic walls. And if you're not like, if you're just picking this game up for the first time, you have no idea what a prismatic wall is. But hey, here, here he is right in the middle of the very first book with two pages on the different effects of prismatic walls. And if you do know about prismatic walls or you are playing a, a wizard in D&D or whatever you're playing, then they're pretty cool. You're reading the chart and you're like, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. This is, you know, this is before there were options everywhere. You know, so to get something, your hands on something like this was like, oh, this is a whole nother, you know, aspect of the, the playing a wizard. And that just goes for you know, all the stuff that, that, that kind of sets the tone. Like there's you can use pages of like random diseases and, I want to say there's a, a page in there that's like random fog and mist generation chart, you know, like <laughs> where it's just like, you know, you've got all these little random bits in this, in this um, little brown book. And then, you know, one minute you're talking about the special abilities of a monk, the next minute it's prismatic walls, the next minute it's, 
you know, the 21 planes of hell, all the demons that <laughs> inhabit it. And then you've got just a completely random chart about fog and mist in the dungeon. You know, oh, hey, it smells this way. It, it, this is its magical property. This is the color. Like, it's it's almost like an insane person put this together, you know? <laughs> um, but having said that, you know, um, it has so much charm and so much, um, again, just chock so full of these little ideas. And that's not just the first book. That goes on through through all the books. I, again, especially that those first three or four um arduin grimoires they're just they're fantastic i do i do find it interesting some of his rules i i would love to you know if, if i could get the time machine you know and go back and talk to him i'd love to see if he really applied all the rules that he, he talks about in here because he, he does go through just a oh i don't know it, it, every other page there's there's some new rules he kind of throws out about you know like uh you know oh, this this is something you do with uh with spell casting you you know um Oh, here's an example. He talks about like use of scrolls and he talks about, well, there's a chance and he calls it the, the P H U C K factor. <laughs> and he spells it like that. Uh, and he says, uh, there's a, a random chance that if you're casting off a scroll and you're in the middle of battle, that you cast the wrong spell off the scroll, you know, if there's more than one on there or that you grab the wrong item out of your backpack. And then, you know, on another page, you'll have like a little, little, you know, percentage chance that this could happen instead of that. And, uh, when you put it all together, like man, there's there's so many layers of of rules here. I'd really like to just know, you know, did he really run with all those all the time, or is that something that's like, oh, you know, today I feel like using this. Let's let's you know throw this little teaser out for the players and you know see what goes down. You know, a, a lot of the, the the people from his original group are still around. You know, a lot of people that played with him at, at cons, like he, he they had a con in uh, Concord, California, where where he was. Um, called GrimCon and a lot of the folks that used to go to those cons and game in his they're still around and they tell stories about what his games were like and what kind of a DM he was and you know just little bits of of interesting bits of you know lore about what it was like to play in a in an arguing game Um, and that's on the you can find a lot of those folks on the uh, there's the Arduin Grimoire um, like fan group on Facebook great great place a lot of great stories you know and if you really want to know if you have a question about argument at all that's the place to go um yeah there's a, a lot of those those folks are still around um and will are still willing to tell those stories <laughs> i'll have to do that man i have to haunt over there and uh, throw it out to them ask them you know you know were all these rules really used at the same time or was it sort of a kind of a traveling you know carnival of different things each time that you guys played that's pretty cool can we talk about the uh the art in the yeah yeah i was gonna say (laughs) we talk about the art in 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 this book because uh not only you know you've got the morno michio uh but you've also got errol otis you know very early on uh doing stuff for these these books um and the art man is just pure old school goodness i mean it's really nice yeah there's it's not like you know every single page uh but the art that's there i mean i think it's as good if not better than what was in the original D books oh no wow. for sure um i mean like i said you've got errol otis who is a a legend you know doing doing some of the art for for, for some of these but um 
these other two, uh, Morno and Michio, and I'm, I'm sorry for not knowing their, their first names, but I know that I've read interviews with both of them, some of the, I mean, some of the best illustrations of the whole book. Um, he's actually he's still around. If, if, I mean, at least he was a couple of years ago. Uh, and he had some gorgeous art online that he was doing. He just had a small website. And I, I think he was making, um, gosh, but I remember visiting it and seeing, oh my God, this stuff is gorgeous. You know, like he's like he's still around, still just doing incredible work. And I read an interview with uh, with this, uh, with the artist Michio. So again, I, I'm sorry, I don't know the first name, um, where he talked about um, some of the stuff that he did for Hargrave and kind of what, what the rates were and you know, kind of how the projects uh, kind, of, kind of went out. And I may have read that on the, on the Arduin fan group, but um, you know, when you start talking about these artists, like for, for such a small publication, you know, I mean, that, that obviously was, you know, uh, very, you know, it was uh, a labor of love. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. The talent that, that, you know, got put into these, um, got put in these books. And again, Errol Otis, I mean, you're talking, you know, this it's one of the legends of, of uh, you know, D and D art scene. So yeah, you know, it, it's you know, and I'm sure you do the same thing. You know, I, I look at this on a couple different levels when I'm looking at stuff like this, and and one of the levels I always think about is like what it would have taken to make this product at that time. You know, where you're yeah. you're typing out on a typewriter every page. You know, you're pasteboarding things if uh, you know you got images and stuff in there you you know and to realize that you know this guy is doing this just because he wants people to, to you know have access to it and uh you know this wasn't you know any big money-making venture for him or anything but just like more or less a labor of love all the work that it would have taken man oh yeah, yeah. i don't you know i'm, I'm not even sure how uh, how far and wide that, that these books reached um you know, when they, when they first debuted, I, I only know the, the, how, what my exposure to them was. Um, when I first started um, gaming with a kind of a, a real group of, of players, um, I was just a teenager, you know, like 13, 14 years old. And uh, their dad had gamed in the army and he had, he had Hargrave's like first three books. Um, so that's how I stumbled on him. But, you know, he had been to Germany and, you know, California and all, all he had stationed all these different places. So he may have just picked them up, you know, in a small little game locally, you know, when, when they were yeah. stationed in California. That may be how, how he could have found them, but they couldn't have been like mass, the mass produced and, you know, everywhere. I mean, I don't know what the print runs in these things were, but it, it, they, I mean, especially the earlier ones, but they couldn't have been super high, you know? Yeah. I remember seeing them still on the shelves of stores as far back as like, I want to say 1993, I saw some at a place called the Armory in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, when I was in the Navy, uh, walked into the store and they were just sitting on the you know on the shelf and for like 10 bucks a piece and i was like whoa <laughs> i've seen these since i was you know a teenager yeah i know that the the guy that got the rights to the arduin stuff uh, jim mathis i think it is i know that his his company in the 80s tried to do like a mass publishing of it and then ended up kind of biting the dust because they couldn't couldn't clear product they only sold like about half of the print run or what have you that's uh I really don't know how widespread it is. That'll be another thing to try to find out uh, on their web page or on their uh, Facebook page. 
Now I know George DeRosa from uh, Emperor's Choice. He he had it for a while. Um, I thought that's who still had it, but um, if if he doesn't have it anymore, I'm I, again I'm not sure who does. Uh, but if you do have it and you're listening, I will come and sleep on your porch until you give me a job to write this this system. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like three or four really smart guys who could uh, work wonders with with this Arduin lore. Um, so yeah. I'm ready to I'm ready to camp out on your lawn to give me a job. Well, any uh, any thoughts on uh, what you would do with it? Uh, you know, you're running a campaign right now, let's say in in whatever system. Uh, how you bring in Arduin into it? What what would you do with this material right now? Something that you're like right off the bat, this is something I'm going to grab and do uh, next time I run a game, or, or, or something maybe you already do because you've you've had such a long uh, exposure to this. In, in my home games, I've been stealing from Arduin to do cool things in, in my, you know, with my own groups uh, since I was, you know, 16 years old. <laughs> I've, I've taken so much of this stuff um, and put them in, in my home games that it's, it's ridiculous. For years in, uh, in our, our home D&D games, we, we used the, um, the critical hit and fumble charts from the, uh, the first, uh, first book, the, Ar- Ar- the Arduin Grimoire 1. We use those to devastating effect. Like it, it completely changes the game when you add those uh, those fumble and crit charts in there. Like on one hand, you know, like a fifth level character might, you know, critical hit a dragon and kill it. But then, you know, uh, a one hit die hobgoblin might, you know, do the same thing to a, a 12th level cleric. <laughs> so it completely changes the, the entire um, lethality of the game. Um, and I use those, those, crit and fumble charts for years i don't, I don't use them anymore because they i mean they are pretty deadly <laughs> um but what would i do what, what if if if, the, if i had a you know if i was being tasked to write the um the next big arduin thing uh, the first i would think i would do is I, I there's a couple guys i would immediately hire um who are arduin scholars and just great writers on their own um but i would really focus on the lore um because i think that's really one of Arduin's strong points. Um, yes, it's very open-ended, and there's a lot to be said, but about where those little threads kind of go. But there's so many little crunchy, cool bits that are scattered throughout the uh, all those different volumes of Arduin Grimoire, and the, just the the lore of Arduin itself. You know, from the all the spell gates and the different races, the crazy timeline that they have, and all those amazing locations that are that are detailed um i think it's in the third um i think it's in the third book they have a it's just a ton of cool locations all those npcs and the spells and the magic items and good lord the monsters they have <laughs> some of the coolest monsters um in, in early in early gaming i mean the kill kittens the, the air shark the black wind uh vroats which are like these giant frogs that have like just big crocodile head yeah. um the hell maidens um did so many really really cool you know different races and and monsters and i mean there's a whole page in that or like a whole section in that um that very first book of that detailing all the demons and the 21 planes of hell i mean that alone is like five six pages I mean, it's crazy they really you know hargrave really went went hard in the paint on that lore and that's really where i I think that's where the strength of of argument is that's that's what i would focus on i think for me the thing that uh, that i'm inspired to do is try to try to build nuance into what's already there in a system you know that you you look through 
like his description of how magic works and, and his, you know, like, like the prismatic wall is a good example. Like, you know, that prismatic wall, okay, it does this. No, 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 no. Okay. The prism breaks light down into different shades. And so let's, let's make each shade do something different. And, uh, you know, that idea of, you know, why not, you know, why not, you know, sit down with your characters on that uh, session zero or whatever and, and, and talk with the players and say, Hey, you know, let's, let's make your magic missile different than just every other magic missile. And that's, you know, make your barbarian be able to do something that's a little different than just every barbarian. I, I kind of like that idea that, you know, very nuanced sort of game. Well, you know, we're D and D with later, you know, uh, especially um, in the latter half of second edition and then all the way through third and fourth and, and fifth, uh, but really ramping up in third uh, edition uh options became a huge thing you know um all you know second edition they had all those those kit and class books and then you know they had the players options book that came out and then they really kicked it in the you know with the feats and the prestige classes and everything that followed they really kicked it in the high gear in third edition well long before any of that that's what i mean i mean <laughs> hargrave was 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 doing that with his you know his his strange classes and the uh, key abilities for you know that, that you would gain it you know what you're talking about earlier that you would gain it you know at every level it was not always the same and then different um you know characteristics or traits that um characters might have I mean, he really broached a lot of brand new territory that um you know nobody else was doing nobody else was taking on that uh you know that aspect of of the game if you played a you know back in the day um if you played a dwarf bx you, you know one fifth level dwarf was pretty much the same as the next fifth level dwarf you know more or less you know there, there it was really their equipment you know their magic items um that differentiated them on the you know as far as on the on paper i mean of course there's role playing goes into the whole thing and yeah. you know, personality and, and whatnot but um, if you took two character sheets and there was no personality on either one of them and you know, to say this is a third level elf and this is a third level elf, they're the same third level elf, more or less, aside from their equipment, you know. And then Arduin throws that out the window. It's like, no, nope, we're gonna do it this way. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna introduce all this crazy stuff and half of it might not work, but it sure is cool and it sure does feel awesome to play. And your character suddenly becomes something special. I don't think he gets enough credit for that yeah um and, and to me he gives just enough to to take and run with it and it's not quite overly systematized like it is in say like a, a third edition you know feats write-up or whatever it's not like it you know gets down to every nut and bolt about you know this is how it works under this situation and this is how it works under that situation but it's just like a general you know oh, you know you can do this sort of thing with a plus two and you know how you apply that and, and, and under what all conditions it'll work. That's still kind of left between the, the game master and the player. I like that. I like the not overly formatized uh, little nuances like that. No, I a hundred percent agree. Um, did you ever, did you know that he wrote a call of Cthulhu module? That I did not. Yeah. So he, <laughs> I don't remember the name of uh, the, the name of it. I, I, I wish I had uh, looked it up before we, <laughs> we did this, but um he wrote a really creepy and very graphic Call of Cthulhu module. I mean, I, it, 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 it's graphic. I'll <laughs> just leave it at that. And is if, it the uh, one, if, if there's one out there uh, I've is, heard is of? A fan of Call of, 
Sorry to interrupt. There's one out there I've heard of that was like it had like children like sacrificing people and and you know I wonder if it was that one. That's it. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's got some heavy stuff in it, man. Like stuff yeah. that um that would did most definitely not fly in, in today's <laughs> gaming circles. But even then, it was like, man, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, uh, you got, you got some stuff going on, man. Like, I, I, I don't know if, uh, I, I don't know if I want to play this game. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on the uh, Arduin Grimoires? Uh, yeah, listen, Arduin Grimoire doesn't get enough credit. Um, you know, especially in today's like, uh, I don't say climate, but the the way that some of the older creators are perceived, you know, they're perceived as these kind of a stodgy old, you know, men who, you know, just <laughs> who, you know, it was my way or the highway. And while a lot of that is certainly true, um, some of the things that they created um, have just been timeless. You know, some of the stuff that have just just remained interesting and just as engaging now as it was then. Um, I don't think Arduin in the, in, in, when you talk about, uh, the old, the older, uh, books and games from, you know, from kind of from yesterday, I don't think it gets the credit that it, that it's due. Um, it's a, it's not a great system, honestly, if I'm being, you know, perfectly <laughs> upfront, but again, it's that, it's that lore and it's those crunchy little bits of, of information and, um, the way that it fires a, 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 a DM's imagination uh to create stuff on their own or, or to just kind of pick wholesale from these books um it's they're really something special and i'm I, again i don't think they, they it gets the credit it deserves you know some of these old timers yeah they, they weren't perfect for sure for sure they weren't perfect um but you know all the stuff that came after you know we're they're standing on the shoulders of giants mm-hmm. you know these 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 titans of of, of creativity in, in in our hobby and um it's just a little weird to me to just kind of dismiss them like you know oh you know they never you know they they never mattered they didn't make their mark i mean i know just for me just i'm just one one guy and a you know in in hundreds of thousands if not millions of, of players dave hargrave influenced me massively i mean these are these these little brown arduin grimoire books were a huge influence on me and I'm honestly don't know that, that I'd be making games today if it wasn't for you know, my exposure to these books, wow. um, especially the fanzines that I do, like the phylactery and uh, magic and shit and all the different little uh, fanzines I do. They're very much in the same vein as Arduin, you know, but just a hodgepodge of different cool stuff. And I draw a lot of inspiration from those those old books uh, to do that. So these guys, you know, Dave Hargrave and, and a lot of these these um, these older guys that were there at the the dawn of the hobby, um, they do deserve a little recognition. They do deserve their their respect and their props. Um, that doesn't excuse them for uh, behaviors or, or maybe things that other things that they that they've done or you know that they wrote. But you know, they there there is a, a shared sort of um i don't even know where i'm going with this like um i'm not sure if this is where you're going but i've always kind of considered that like of its time you know like we go back to 77 you're going to be hard pressed to find anyone that doesn't have similar flaws uh of of one direction or another as what any 
any of these guys do. And uh, that's not to dismiss the flaws, but to say that, you know, with the good comes the bad. And I'm sure our children and, and their children will say the same about us and in the way we lived our lives and the things we did and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, you still have to give credit to the, the, the them carrying the ball forward and passing it off and that our capable hands or whatever to do with what we've done uh, as a hobby in modern times. I guess that, that would be my take on it. Anyway. I guess what I'm going to say is that uh, it, the hobby is not, does not just spring fully formed, you know, from, you know, from anything, you know, there, there's a stage of evolution that it has to go through. Um, and a lot of bumps in the road and some of those bumps are rather unfortunate. I'm not really talking about Hargrave, but there are some creators out there who um, are very problematic. So when it comes to Arduin, it just, you know, I'd like to just shine a, shine a light on it because it re really is a, a unique thing all of its own. And it was very original, very uh, imaginative for its time. So, um, again, shoulders of giants. We're, we're standing on them. All right. Well, gang, I think that wraps it up for us tonight. Uh, Levi, man, I want to thank you big time for coming on the show tonight and uh, being with us. Uh, again, everybody, uh, as, as it comes up on Kickstarter, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it and then you say it again, correcting me here. You got to look for it. It's the <laughs> King Tut's Rootin' Tootin' Wild West Extrava Bonanza in Western Wear, or is that on there? <laughs> no, we, we changed the uh, we changed the title at the zero hour. It's uh, King Tut's Rootin' Tootin' Weird West Extrava Bonanza. <laughs> and that's a Weird West zine. 48 pages, color covers, black and white interiors, jam-packed full of all sorts of Weird West goodness. It's like Universal Monsters meets Gunsmoke meets fangoria meets uh bone tomahawk you know like you know and, and you know if, if you let um i don't know if you let the bride of frankenstein and uh hoss from bonanza had to have a baby <laughs> and they let the baby do crack then you've got uh <laughs> you've got this zine it's a crazy uh piece of writing and with a phenomenal art uh i hope you check it out I, I, you got one sold to me and, and everybody, uh, you know, you, you, I, hopefully, I mean, I've been, I've been toting uh, Planet X games on here. Any, any chance I get, anytime I pick up something of yours, I always try to make a comment about it on the uh, podcast because it does just grip me uh, so, so dramatically. And, and, you know, it's like, man, this is exactly the kind of game I'm looking for. This is exactly the sort of thing I want to throw into my, uh, my sessions of, of whatever. And so folks say, uh, you know, uh, please check that out. I know I'm going to, uh, you won't be sorry. I can tell you that. It's very kind of you to say, man. Nah, it's not, no, no, uh, what do you call it? No flattery there at all. It's, a, it's just, just the truth, man. So, well, folks, uh, wish you all happy gaming and uh, we'll talk at with you next time. Uh, again, that'll be in October and hopefully we'll be talking some ghostbusters and we'll have some, uh, in, in trim co-host still we're, we're still uh, uh Brigitte and thomas still dealing with some uh, health problems and uh you know i, I keep him in my prayers and uh, he is recovering i don't know when uh when we'll be able to have him back on that's all in his hands uh but uh, until the meantime there's a lot of gracious people out there that have been sending me some messages saying that they're willing to drop in so uh we'll keep it rolling i guess for now all right
Tonight's episode of This Old Dungeon is copyright 2021. We'd like to thank our special guests and remind you, the listener, that the views expressed and the opinions held are simply our own. Hey, we're here to entertain, not educate. Until next time, happy gaming.